This morning we'll be looking at the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 7. You can find us on page 573 if you're utilizing a pew Bible. I mentioned that it's Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, but for context, I am going to start at verse 1. Uh, hear now the word of our Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us is born, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Heavenly Father, as we now open your word, we ask that you would illumine our hearts and magnify our Lord before our very eyes even now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I hate to be the bearer of sad and depressing verbiage, especially the day after Christmas when you open those wonderful gifts. But we must first come to grips with the bad, both about ourselves and the world we live in, before we get to the good. So if you consistently read, watch, the things that are going on around us via the existing news outlets, then I submit to you that the words that might rightly describe you will be angry, depressed, anxious, and or confused. Crime and lawlessness abound throughout the land, much in part to great swaths of our society who deceptively fell for an agenda-laced ideology which call for getting rid of God's civil ministers who, according to Romans 13, exists to restrain evil. Justice in many circles means my side getting what it wants and your side getting what it deserves, but only if it is bad. If, if it is good that you deserve, then it's not justice in my eyes. The very institution, government, that is called to promote, to foster, and to preserve peace and stamp out wickedness is guilty of promoting and fostering division and lawlessness throughout the land. Disease and pestilence marks the land, 
COVID is the headliner. More people have died this year than last year from COVID. We thought we were on our way through it, and then came Delta. We came through that flat line looking good, and all of a sudden here is Omicron being touted, true or not, as more of the bad same. This is the headliner, but the fact is death from drug and overdoses and, and mental illnesses is just as and even more prevalent in our nation today. So in the midst of everything, in the midst of all this, the visible church is losing its ability to be light. Instead, it's just as divided and polarized as the rest of society. Speaking of polarization, folks are so divided and stuck in their echo chambers that is as if those engaged in discourse were speaking completely different languages. More often than not, there is no discourse to be had. You're either with me in every jot or tittle, or you're against me. Sadly, some families have to sit around the tables that are filled with plenty, all sorts of food, all sorts of good, but yet they're on edge in the midst of those blessings, hoping not to hear or to say the wrong thing coming from others around the table. All that, and then we still have to deal with our, our own personal infirmities, sickness, hurt, struggles, and our besetting sins. This the season to be jolly, but not for some. For some, it's that time when their daily beloved loved ones died suddenly, when the consequences of their divorce vividly haunts them when they're reminded of some of the most horrific times of their life. And on and on and on we go. It makes some of us want to say, Adam, you were without sin. Couldn't you have seen the mess we'd be in and refrain from being self-indulgent? For you see, the word of God tells us that it was by one man, Adam, that sin and destruction came into the world and through sin came death and all the misery we see and experience. And according to Romans 3 and the testimony of Scripture as a whole, all of us have joined the fray. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Scriptures tell us that even on our best days, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 we're the folks who walked, we're like the folks in the book of Numbers who walked with God in the wilderness as is recorded in that book. God will bless us one day, today, and tomorrow we'll complain and act like he's dead, not worthy or not powerful enough to meet our needs. So you see, folks, all that I've mentioned thus far is the fruit of the proverbial rotten tree sin and our bondage to it. The fact is sin has turned everything upside down. This is not the way it was meant to be. That which is good is declared to be bad and that which is bad in our day is declared good. In chapter 57 of this book, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah retorts that the truth has fallen in the streets. I heard tell that in our day, Justice tried to revive truth by providing CPR, 
but was overcome by the morbid state of truth and thus was canceled. For you see, that is the age we live in, cancel culture. In the midst of all this, what we need then is a prophetic word of hope to be reminded of God's promise and to grab hold of a God-centered vision of both the present and the future. The environmental context that Isaiah was in was much like ours. Here's how he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, described the people of his day. This is in Isaiah 1.4. Ah, he says, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. As often as the case, this expression of fallen hearts is, is given the opportunity to spring forth through the type of leadership that is equally debauched and removed from any submission to the one who established them to begin with. And so it was that the leadership of Israel moved the people away from having God as the center of their devotion and the source of their protection. As a consequence of this, God gave them into the hands of the Assyrians who oppressed them and kept them under heavy bondage. The tribe of Zebulon and Naphtali uh, were the first to suffer under the heavy bondage, under this heavy bondage and oppression. Many of the inhabitants were removed from their homeland and taken to Assyria where they were disabused of their personal possessions and terribly mistreated. Naphtali was and became even more so a place of disrepute, a place of lowly status in the eyes of Israel. Things look bleak, gloomy is what it says in verse 1, which is symbolic of hellish. It was gloomy for the inhabitants of Zebulun and Natali in a physical sense, in a real sense, as it was and is for us who were lost in our sin and without hope in a spiritual sense. But brothers and sisters, here is where, like Jacob, who wrestled with God and refused to let him go until he blessed them, here's where you, here's we've, where we volitionally remember a central character of God. Hold on to it and don't let go. Don't let go of the knowledge of God's faithfulness. Way back in Genesis 3, God promised to turn things around, turn this upside down world around. We call what he promised in Genesis 3, the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the first vestiges of good news. He promised that the problem of sin and its fruit being brought into the world through the first man would be rectified through the free gift of the seed of the woman. And so as we come to this text, with our eyes on that promise, we see several reasons, in spite of all you heard me talk about, in spite of all the bad that you heard me say, we see several reasons. I'm going to give you five of them. Why even in the midst of the current darkness that surrounds us, we, that is those of us who are in Christ, 
can be a people filled with joy and courage. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the life you have. Filled with joy and courage. Five reasons. The first one, the light of the world has shined on you. Verses 1 and 2, the people of Zebulon and Naphtali were the first to experience the crushing oppression and tyrannical bondage of Assyria. But they were also the first to experience the greatest blessing of all. This child that is mentioned in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. You heard me telling the children this morning. It says, to us a child is given. For God so loved the world he gave. Just in case there's any wavering concerning. Dean, I don't believe that is this child. Just in case there's any wavering concerning that. Listen to Matthew 4, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Now when Jesus, it says... When he, that is Jesus, heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Listen, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The great light in verse 2 of Isaiah, that light that was spoken of by the apostle John when he wrote, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That light came, brothers and sisters, with a specific mission in mind. Here it is in his own words in Luke 4.18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So brothers and sisters, if Christ is yours, it is because that child came in the fullness of time, shed his light abroad in your heart, regenerated you and illumined your mind with the knowledge of who he is. None of us chose God. God chose us and brought us to himself through the gift of this child. That's the reason, that's the reason that you should be filled with joy and courage the light of the world has come into the world, has grabbed hold of you and made you his own. The second reason we should be joyful is just that. Because, brothers and sisters, the joy of the Lord is yours. Verse 3, look at verse 3. As a result of this child, you have multiplied the nations. That's a textual variant. It is you, shall, you will multiply. Joy will be multiplied. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, for those of you who know anything about agricultural, you know, we're in this techie age where we just do everything via technology. But if you were relying on a harvest where you had to 
plant the seed and water the seed and hope that it was rain and no drought and all this sort of stuff. And your whole livelihood depended on this harvest when that harvest came up and it looked all beautiful. Think about how your heart would be. Think about right now if you lost your job, had no money in the bank, and all of a sudden you came into a windfall. Think of how you would feel. Or you got the job, your dream job. Think of how you would feel. Well, that's how this harvest is. It's a cause for great, great, great rejoicing because you have plenty. And they're glad when they divide the spoil. Think of people going out to war. And they come back from war and they have all this bounty that they took. They entered into a just war because the other side had violated God's principles, God's word, God, God's principle in general. And so they entered into a just war and they spoiled. They got all the bounty and you see all this bounty coming and you know all you had in your pocket was $10. And all of a sudden you're about to have $1,000. You're going to feel pretty good. You see, and that's what's going on here, all right? The joy of the Lord, the magnificent joy of the Lord is yours. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And so when the light of Christ has shed abroad in your heart, the same joy that was set before him, the Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering. He endured the pain. He endured the wrath that was unleashed on him on the craft, on the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And so when he, we should have that same joy flowing out of us in the midst of all things. That joy is your strength. That's precisely what Ezra said to the people who wept while they were listening to the word of the Lord in chapter 8 in the book of Nehemiah. He said, rejoice for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice because your name has been added, is written in the Lamb's book of life. Redeemed by the child who came to die. Third reason you should rejoice and, and be filled with great joy is because the chains of sin and oppression have been broken. It's verses 4 and 5. Look at verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. All the verbiage in verse 4 and 5 speak to the type of oppression the rod that was used to beat people on their back, all the things that oppressed them, the tyrannical oppression that they were under. That's what it's speaking of in verse 4 and 5. Now we were under the tyrannical oppression of sin, sentenced to death, hell, and the grave. But like Midian, and you should remember who was the other star in the account of Midian, the true star was God. God used Gideon and started out with 32,000 people. God said, no, 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 whittle it down. And he used 300 people to destroy a vast bunch of people, the Midianites. And he did it with 300 people. And he did that because he wanted them to understand that it was him, God, who delivered them. 
And it's us, God, we should understand and know that, again, we could not deliver ourselves from the state of lostness we were in, from the bondage to sin that we were in. God came and he rescued us. And because he is the one that rescued us, we cannot fall back into it because he's the one that started it in us. He is the one that's going to keep us. He is the one that's going to be faithful. He delivered us from our sin. Listen, the old man is still there. All of us still sin. But we are moving from glory to glory. We are being sanctified by the Spirit of God who is in us. The temple, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying, cleansing us, break all the chains that were holding us down, took away the inability that we had to see and understand God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that, that the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. It is a gift of God, lest no any man should boast. We were uh, delivered from the chains that we had. And the more debauched the life you live, the more you understand that. Those that were, came from a, a background of pride, it's hard to struggle with that. But if God, by his grace, reveals it, you see that you were no better than the woman who had five husbands. So we have a great cause for rejoicing because the chains that we could not remove on our own were removed by the grace of God. Before Christ, again, you were unable to please God. You were in chains, chained to a fallen nature. But this God changed that. The birth of Christ, listen to this. The birth of Christ was the beginning of the end of sin. We are, already, we are in a state of already, but not yet. We have not totally been delivered from our sin, but we will be perfectly. Then one day we'll be fully free of every vestige of sin. And that, brothers and sisters, is plenty to be joyful about. The fourth thing that I'd like to bring to your attention is you have a perfect king. Verse 6, the scriptures reveal that our God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. He is perfect in all his ways. Thus, any title that is attributed to him must be seen through those lens. Here we are told that the government will be on the shoulder of this child. We don't have to worry about a corrupt government because we're going to have a perfect God. We don't have to worry about the government telling one thing and then doing another because this person is perfect in truth. He is truth embodied. Here we are told again, he will be king. He is the government. He will be king. That is king of kings. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As a wonderful counselor, I think of Psalm 1, which warns us not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. A good counselor helps us to know the way, reveals things that we might not have considered, and confronts us with the truth when we need to be confronted in that manner. Well, here we have a counselor who can be fully trusted to do all these things and more perfectly, knowing that he knows every. 
He knows every single contingency, every aspect of who we are and how we should be. He created us, therefore he knows how we should be and can counsel us correctly. His entire word that has been given to us is his counsel. A great place to see this awesome counsel is the Sermon on the Mount. As mighty God, he is the perfect warrior who fights for us and will never leave us behind enemy lines, never leave us to the wiles and weakness of our own flesh, but he will always fight for us. And he is the mighty God, the mighty warrior, and so he will indeed win the battle. He has already won the battle. And as we read in Revelation, we see the end, the culmination of that which he has done. As everlasting father, he also protects and provides for us. Jesus himself made this attribute clear when he stated, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Oh, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here he was speaking of God the Father. But may I remind you of Jesus' words when he was asked to show his disciples the Father. You've seen the Father, you've seen me. He too is our provider and will be so eternally. And finally, with regards to our perfect king, reason we should rejoice, we have a perfect king. He is the prince of peace. And where the prince of peace abides, as, as the scripture states, is where the, the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There is an absence of strife. There is spiritual wholeness. And there is rest. There is rest because we who were enemies of God have been reconciled to him. We have a perfect king and we should rejoice in that fact. Is when you keep your eyes on Jesus and the things that I am talking about that you can walk like the Apostle Paul in the midst of all things and still sing the praises of God. The fifth and final reason, his reign is forever. Listen to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. There is no shadow of turning in our God, no end to his reign. That which is promised will be forever and ever. That which we heard concerning Revelation 21 is forever and forever in the presence of a holy, righteous, magnificent, and awesome God. There is no end. That which was promised to David in 2 Samuel 7 in the Davidic covenant will surely come to pass. This morning, scripture reading again gave us a picture of what it would be like to be in the presence of his majesty. If nothing else, this picture of a world absence of pain and suffering where our tears will be wiped away should provide the impetus to testify, for us to testify about the goodness of God to others should shape you 
shape your heart into a vessel of gratitude, one that when you come here on Sundays, eagerly pours out contents of praise to the one who sits upon the throne. Isaiah ends this prophetic message with the words, the zeal of the Lord will do this. The covenant of redemption informs us that it was before the foundation of the world that God the Father, out of the abundance of his love for the Son, gave a people to the Son. Again, you see that in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's that same love that is manifested here in the form of zeal. Now look at this. The word zeal, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is defined as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Think about that for a moment. The God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present is greatly enthused about finishing the good work that he started in redemptive history, greatly enthused about the gathering of his son's bride, us. Beloved, it's always the case that it's those things that we are most enthused about that we commit our greatest energies to. It's the thing that we are most enthused about that we place our greatest focus on. So think about that. The God that created all things is enthused about bringing his son to glory and uniting us to him in that glory. And what are the chances if he's so enthused that it will not come to pass? No chance. What are the chances that it will come to pass? Infinity and beyond. And if God is so enthused about the establishment of his son's kingdom, how can we be any less so? This morning I say, we should be very enthused. We should walk around with our hearts filled with joy because of all that we've heard this morning. And to this morning I say to you, if you don't know Christ, to those of you, if you don't know Christ, that which you've heard this morning is as true as the air you're breathing. But the joy that I'm speaking of will never be yours outside the confines of a relationship with the giver of that joy. You'll never be free of the weight of sin and the wages of that sin, which is death. So I say to you, repent. Repent and come to the living God who loves you and has made a way for you to experience the joy of his salvation. So you see, brothers and sisters, even though we started off this morning highlighting the terrible things all around us and in us, we can still walk with joy, with the joy of the Lord as our strength. We can speak of a hope that springs eternal because, as Isaiah said, to us a child is born. Jesus is the verifiable evidence of that which was spoken of 700 years before his birth. And the zeal of the Lord is the seal of the one who has been nothing but faithful throughout redemptive history. And if God said it, that settles it. So rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this unspeakable gift of this child who was born in a manger, born in nothingness it seemed, born as a lamb, but will be returning as a king, a king with a perfect kingdom. And by your grace, not because of anything that we have done, but by your grace you have made us members of that kingdom. And so we rejoice in the knowledge of who you are. We rejoice in the knowledge of what you've done. We rejoice in the knowledge that we will be able to glorify you forever and ever in the old kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. We deserve none of this, but your grace, your mercy, they grabbed us and bought us. Would you now then give us the fervor, the heart, to share this news, to go tell it in every vineyard, in every mountain, that Jesus Christ, the Savior, has come and that he has bought with him salvation, reconciliation with you, our great God. Would you do all these things to the praise of your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.